afternoon and good evening wherever you may be and welcome to another episode of corner gas fan corners jackass cast and i've got another great guest for you would you believe another great guest i spoil you lot i don't know why i do it i think you're worth it that's why i do it because you're worth it that's why because i love you all so much and uh christmas is coming up in a few months the cards are already in the shops it's july so it must be happening anytime soon so i best keep on your good side in case you know you fancy sending me some prezzies uh maybe an action man with a kung fu grip whatever you fancy you know i'm not beneath a little bit of bribery and corruption but this episode shouldn't be the one you're listening to technically although it did get recorded first this week has been a bit of a disaster on the jackass cast front a few days ago i was lucky enough to speak to tara spencer nan and Eric Peterson. They were promoting their appearance at Canada's Fan Expo in Toronto this weekend. It's August 25th today. They are going to be signing autographs and doing a Q&A, meeting lots of fans. Fantastic time for one and all. Uh, and it's the first time that their cast have been together to do it. Not all the cast are there. Um, I might have mentioned this in an episode previous. Of Fred Ioannik and uh, Gabrielle Miller. They can't make it there due to uh, previous commitments. But the rest of the guys, they're all there and looking forward to meeting you all. Now, I promised that I would bring that out today. The Tara and Eric episode. But the technical side of things was against us i do these interviews on skype and the signal between england and canada uh, where the wind was blowing in the wrong direction and the picture kept breaking up the sound kept going and then once i'd finished talking to them well as as best as we could they were real troopers and they stuck with it it was quite uh, bold of them they could have got fed up and and wandered off and i wouldn't have blamed them to be quite honest but they didn't they kept going and uh, we got the best out of it when we'd finished, I went to download the videos from Skype and they were corrupted. And I cried tears of sadness. However, after some technical jiggery pokery and googling like crazy, I managed to sort out the problem with the video. And I do have those videos to play, but I didn't get them in time to bring them to you today. So, what I do have for you, by way of an apology, is a fantastic interview with long cardinal now this interview was done about two or three weeks ago and i've decided it was it, we talked for ages um because lorne has got one of those voices who you just want to let it envelop and i could just talk listen to him speaking for ages not and not only that obviously he's very funny and he's got a lot of stories to tell and a lot of interesting uh, comments to make about acting and all sorts of other topics besides and so what i've decided to do uh, because the tara and eric stuff didn't turn out quite so well the end portion of this interview i'm going to put with in amongst the bits that i can use from tara and eric because it all kinds of ties up you'll get it when you hear the next episode but it all kind of works quite nicely so if i can do some clever editing and put it all together so it sounds like they're all in the we're all in the room together uh some sort of corner gas convention i suppose that would be quite good we should do one of those hang this fan expo stuff let's do our own corner gas convention that is something that i've thought about in the past and does come up on social media quite regularly it seems like a popular idea i I can't honestly understand why it hasn't been done before but if i had the means if i win the lottery and i'll put it all together and we can all meet up and have a jolly good time if you do know the lottery numbers for next week in england well actually anywhere to be honest just send them to me and I'll, i'll put a quid on see what happens and we can all all have fun together somewhere in a big convention hall and get sweaty and dress up like orcs (laughs) anyway here's the first part of the long cardinal interview i hope you enjoy it and uh, i'll speak to you at the end if we just go back way back to the beginning to start and how you got into acting it seems to me from reading on the net is it's a sort of a lifelong passion so how, how did you get started well, it actually became a lifelong passion. I didn't start till I was like 23, I think. I took my first acting class. Oh, right. So, 
Yeah, up until that point, I was high school dropout. <laughs> I quit the last three weeks of high school just to make a point. Yeah. <laughs> Show how smart I was. <laughs> and then I found a, a job at a, a local uh, indigenous newspaper where they hired me on as a summer student. And then I learned how to be a darkroom technician and then also a photographer. And I did that for about two, three years, maybe. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was an incredible uh, learning experience for sure. Learning something I've never done before. I did that, and I also played rugby as well on the on the in between time. So my goal was to play for Team Canada. Oh, really? So that was, yeah. was one of the things I was going to ask is: was it a toss up between acting and sport, or particularly rugby? Yeah, yeah, it came it came down to that. It came down to that. I kept playing, and I, I went quite a ways. I played uh, played for Alberta and I played for Edmonton, and, and so I played some rep teams. So I was playing at a pretty high level. Yeah. And then I moved to uh, BC. And I played there for uh, a couple of years. Then I moved around a bit, moved from Kamloops to Kelowna, then Kelowna back to Edmonton. And then when I was in Edmonton, I was in the... Uh, I took my first acting class in Kamloops. Uh, I was 23 at the time, and I decided to go back to university or back to school, college. Yeah. I wanted to see what post-secondary education was about. So um, I went up to the local college in Kamloops. It was called Caribou College at the time. I had no ideas about programs or prerequisites or any of that university lingo. Yeah. <laughs> stuff stuff you need to get a degree. And when I, was, I didn't know anything about that. because So I just took stuff that interested me. I took a bit of science and a bit of English and a sports history class. Yeah. And then I had uh, some space left and I saw an introduction to acting class. And I thought, easy credits. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> to have that high school mentality you know yeah. I was saying, when i was at university I, I wanted to do psychology i loved yeah. psychology at a level but my maths wasn't good enough so they wouldn't let me so i ended up taking industrial archaeology which is as boring as it sounds but, <laughs> I think it was a new course and they would you could put your name on the top of the paper and they give you full marks so, yeah, why not? That'll do for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now here you are, an industrial archaeologist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If if you need any uh, toilet box measuring to you know how tall they are, I'm your man. So was that when the acting spark was ignited? Yeah, I had a really uh, a really great teacher, a guy named Dr. David Edwards, who always be grateful for because he was such a, a passionate instructor and he also it also showed me that acting the technique and the craft of it was used by other people like in my class i had uh, a real estate local real estate guy enrolled in it a dj local dj enrolled in it and they were all and a housewife and just a regular you know all the kids are gone so she, she decided to do something get over her shyness yeah. And I was and I was incredibly shy as well. So it, it was uh, it was right up my alley. And he was such a just a great teacher. We did a one act play as part of the coursework. I remember feeling like this is it. This is what I was meant to do. And so I asked me, how do I make a living at this? How do I do this for a profession? And he gave me the best advice. He said, get the best training you can find. Right. And, uh, and that brought me to the University of Alberta. So I was in the midst of a a two-year education program so with canadian history as my major and theater as my my minor right because because i find out in the education system they won't let you be a phys ed major and a drama minor oh my <laughs> i can't do the fun courses and they limit <laughs> no you have to do a science or a social studies or something like that and I went, oh, oh well yeah but i did Two years of that, and I did my student teaching, and uh, that's when I realized that, yeah, teaching was not for me. I mean, I love teaching and teaching uh, young kids and stuff, but I just didn't care for the system right. that's set up. It's very, uh, it's unsupportive to the teachers. It's, you know, our most valuable resource is teaching our kids, and yet they treat the teachers with contempt. You know, a plumber gets paid yeah. more than a, a teacher, so that's yeah. where our priorities and values need to be looked at, really. I think that's the same worldwide. It's the same over here mm -hmm. now. I mean, jo Joe's um, a learning support teacher. Mm -hmm. And the things that the teachers and the learning supports have to do, that they shouldn't like like supplying their own supplies to do yeah, the that's, paying that's... for things that mm -hmm. you know, they should be given by the government. And, yeah, and in some cases, it's just glorified babysitting. I mean, you, you, I, I remember teaching with one guy, and he was 
uh, he was spent 10 minutes of each before and after uh, class making sure the kids have coats and pens and papers and yeah. had a lunch and stuff. And it's like, well, it was just, yeah, it was not a system that was sitting. And I went through the same system and it hadn't changed where, you know, they try and funnel kids into certain programs based on marks, mm. not on what they like, not on aptitude, not on their interests, but just on, on scholastic achievement. And it was, right. uh, yeah. So they wanted me to be a welder or something menial. And uh, I rejected that right off the bat. And they try to funnel me in, in high school into certain classes. I went, eh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to take that, no. <laughs> well, but you need a skill. Nah, I don't need that skill. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the best way. I mean, that's what I tell my kids now. Is, is It's all very well going through the educational system, but you, you need, I say, need to have a plan so much, but have an idea, mm -hmm. know what you want to do, and know what, what you're good at, maybe. Um, yeah. And it takes time to find figure that out. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you, that's why I went back at when I went back to school at twenty three. It was like I, now I became it was different. I was a motivated learner. I wanted to learn. I and I uh, wasn't quite sure yet until I I found theater and and then I went. This is it. This is yeah. what I was meant to do. And then yeah, and after that it was just like I did my education. I did two years of it, and then I and then uh, I was asked to apply to the bachelor of fine arts acting program at the university of alberta which is one of the best theater company or theater training places in the country there's edmonton and uh, montreal and national theater school those two are the best in the country to go to the only difference is is that montreal uh, doesn't offer a degree program oh, but okay. it, it, yeah it's still it's still a, a top-notch training facility but it, you, you come with a diploma i think i come up with the bfa at bfa in acting at the end of my my three years. So I thought it was a good, well, number one, to learn the craft. I mean, learning technique is so important that it saved my bacon more than once. No. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, for later down the road, having a degree never hurts when you're, if you're forced yeah. to look, you know, throw yeah, those letters around. <laughs> something to fall back on sort of thing. Yeah. That's interesting you saying that because I've often thought, do, do you think acting and the ability to act is innate? Or, and that you or that you can be taught it you don't have to have that initial skill um, I think I think anybody can um, can learn it it's just the, the amount of ability is yeah it, it varies between people um, you can definitely learn the craft you can definitely learn technique yeah uh, whether it comes naturally or, or not is is another thing but I, I've taking classes with guys who work incredibly hard just to be you know sufficient on stage but they're working their buns off so you can yeah. you can you can learn it uh it's easier if you have some passion or natural ability it's it, it is a bit easier and you can use those tools a bit uh, a bit more more precisely i guess do you think you ever finish learning no i hope not no no <laughs> and, and you never do i think if you think you you've learned it all then you're, you're a fool, I think, <laughs> yeah. because uh, your, your life is just about learning. You just keep learning, keep reading. I mean, that's the biggest thing I tell young kids is just keep keep learning because you never stop. You can never learn enough. I mean, there's too much information out there to not know enough, you know? Yeah. So especially in acting, uh, uh, acting is all about experiencing and relating your experiences onto the stage into a character through the play and stuff. So if you keep reading, you're just expanding your knowledge. You can use all that into the work you do, especially when you're doing period pieces. Oh. You research, you research the, the time, you research the politics, the fashion, the social, the scientific, the economic. You review all those all that information in that time period and then helps you create the world for the people, you know? That's so much to think about. It's, mm -hmm. That's um, praise in itself to people such as yourself. When the performance comes across so easily and so naturally that people like me are watching wouldn't tend to mm -hmm. realize that that's gone on. But it, it's because of that that we're so drawn into the performance. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you never uh, just... Finishly, uh, recently finished production of The Tempest in Edmonton with Josette Bushnell-Mingo, yes. uh, who was in the original uh, Lion King. She won a ba our, uh, Laurence Olivier Award for Best Supporting Actress. Yes. And she was our director, and she was she's brilliant. She's just incredible. Our production featured half-hearing and half-deaf actors. 
Right. And yeah. it was a phenomenal learning experience. We had a month before we started rehearsals just to get our company together and learn how to work with each other. Yeah. And just learn about each other. Because, uh, you know, the deaf culture is just so incredible and underrepresented. And these are inspiring people. They were inspiring actors because they're facing so many challenges that we can even we can't even imagine. Just to go to, into town is, is just a huge amount of effort on their parts that they have to think about things that we take for granted. So That's right. My mum is um, pretty much deaf. She's, it's, I don't know what level you'd put her in. She's extremely hard of hearing. It's really a struggle for her. You know, we do everything we can to, to help. But, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing how to get through and how, how somebody can overcome those obstacles to become an actor. Because it looked like quite a lavish production. It was. It was incredible. We dropped 100 gallons of water per show. Really? Yeah. We had a we had a, a pipe across the proscenium, and it and it rained onto the. We had rain coming down on the stage. We had storm oh. coming onto the stage. Yeah. And then we were working in pools of water. On we the whole stage was covered in a rubber pool liner. Yeah. So it was very it was very slippery. So oh, yeah, we definitely <laughs> got to work out. Did you have any disasters? Nothing major, just the usual slips and falls here and there. You know, we had, yeah, and going up ramps and ladders and stuff was not, uh, not make it easy. Yeah. But uh, it was uh, a brilliant production. And again, working with my deaf colleagues was, was just astounding. They were fearless. They were just yeah. fearless. And a lot of it, it was their chance. They don't get opportunities to be on a professional A-house stage with professional actors. They don't, really? that opportunity doesn't exist for them. Oh, it's uh, it's a it's a rarity, and uh, these stories that the, my colleagues shared were just heartbreaking, heartbreaking stories. As one gal, she uh, she was saying when she was in high school, she was asked by uh, the teacher what they wanted to do, and a lot of the students you know, went, you know, want to be a teacher or want to do different things, uh, and uh, and she put up her hand and she said she wanted to be an actor, and the and the teacher laughed at her. Oh, nice. And said, yeah, and they said the only thing, the only way you'll the closest you'll get to being on stage is being the deaf girl selling flowers in the lobby. Ah, oh, that's horrendous. But yeah. That, so that, that right there is the difference between your teacher that you had that pushed you mm -hmm. and yeah. something like that that wants to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so this was her once in a lifetime opportunity. So she, and luckily she had a very incredible husband and support system because she was able to leave her three kids, two twins who, and a, a young daughter who just turned eight. Right. So, so she uh, left her, her, her twins who were two and, uh, and her daughter and her husband in, in Kingston and came out to Banff and then up to Edmonton and, and they were not paid what they were worth for sure. It's theater, yeah. you know, it's tough to make a living, but she, uh, they bared the brunt of the, a lot of the cost for accommodation and travel and, yeah, but she knew this was her once in a lifetime opportunity to be on a stage of professional acting in a professional theater company. Yeah, and uh, so that was her dedication, and all the cast members were like that. They they made huge personal sacrifices to be on stage and learn from a master like Josette. Last we spoke about it, you mentioned uh, the the production might tour. Is is that still a possibility? No, 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 no. It was just kind of just turned to be a one off in Edmonton. So. Oh, but it was, quite, uh, it was quite the uh, production. We had uh, our sound guy was in his glory because he had like 72 subs that were aimed at the audience. <laughs> so when you were sitting as a hearing patron, you could you could you would feel vibrations coming at you. Yeah. And this pounding of the surf was just you, you could feel it viscerally. Oh, and wow. it was des designed for our deaf audience who, who wanted to come see the show. Mm. So th they could also feel it. Because they're yeah. more sensitive to the vibrations and the hearing. And the way we, I don't know if you're familiar with The Tempest, but in, in The Tempest, uh, there's a character called Ariel. She's like a, a spirit or sprite. Yeah, a fairy kind of. So we took our Ariel and divided it into seven Ariels on stage, which were all a reflection of Prospero. Oh, okay. But our, our seven Ariels, they were hearing and deaf, but they would attach themselves to one of the characters and they would sign or speak the language if it was a deaf actor we'd have an actor speak her her lines yeah or her. and if it was a hearing actor they would somebody would sign their lines for them so the audience would yeah. uh, know understand what's going on 
it, it was nowhere near what I expected. I, mm-hmm. what I expected. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty. Sp- we had one of the best lighting designers in the country working on the show, and Dave Clark is our sound guy, whose parents are from who are, are British, and and oh. they're deaf, so he grew up with deaf parents, oh. so he knew BSL. Yeah. And that was the other thing that I, that I learned. We had we had four of our deaf colleagues stand up. There was Josette, there was Dave, Tiffany, and there was Denise Reed. And they were all, all deaf, but they gave a little demonstration of just going from A to Z in their respective sign languages, in yeah. British, in Swedish, in French, and in English, in Quebecois French, and in yeah. English. And they went from A to Z, and just to see the differences are just some similarities, but a lot of differences. Yeah. And Sweden has two more signs. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because you'd assume that it, it's sort of regimented. Yeah, you think every, everyone, once you know ASL, that's it. It's like, no, Spain has their own sign language, you know. Same same with France and different countries have their own sign language. Yeah, There's similarities. It's based on ASL, but there are regional differences in, in dialects. So it's very cool. I was doing a bit of research, as I usually do. Am I right in thinking that your first production was Shakespeare? Uh, yeah, I learned uh, training at uh, Edmonton at the U of A was all it's classical training. So I learned the basics on how to be a classical theater actor. Yeah, we did a lot of Shakespeare work with the dialogue. and But my first play was a Robertson Davies play called uh, Voice of the People. And it was a modern modern piece. Oh, okay. The yeah. first, and then and then we did some Shakespeare in at the U of A. My in my second year, yeah, second year we did uh, All's Well That Ends Well. Then we did all modern plays after that. Oh, okay. So I did some Tennessee Williams. Did some Michael Frayn, who did a translation of Chekhov, a Chekhov piece. And we did uh, Bertolt Brecht. Did a couple of pieces from him. And yeah, so yeah, different a variety. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer the the Shakespearean or the modern? I love the Shakespeare. It's it's such a challenge. I mean, this the Tempest really kicked my kicked my butt because it, <laughs> it told me it should be how much I I forgot trying to catch up on on how to translate the language. Basically, that's what you're doing and trying to connect to it emotionally and stuff. It's just that ever moving target that you try and hit every night. You get one piece right, then you get another piece, or you don't quite make the mark on something, or connect emotionally, or or you forget a line. <laughs> <laughs> so is, does that make it hard if you if you're doing it in the original language? Do you have to you find it? What what the hell does that mean? Best. Yeah, oh. you got to break out the lexicons and learn, you should you know, look up every word that you're unfamiliar with in the lexicon. Yeah, yeah. you know what those are the the yeah, British yeah. Shakespeare's lexicons. He's got a, a whole dictionary of of words and what they meant at the time, which is totally changes some interpretations when you read it. You go, oh, that's what it means. And then you Mm -hmm. put it in and go, okay, that means totally different from what I was thinking. Because I think he invented some words as well. Oh, yeah. 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 He he was quite the wordsmith. Yeah, it's it's quite a challenge that way just to to, to do it. And then you got to work with the meter and and the prose and the versus the, uh, see, I can't remember what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Prose versus the verse versus, yeah. So yeah. there's those things that you have to. But luckily, uh, luckily, most most uh, productions when they do Shakespeare today, they condense it. They go through it and take out a lot of the references that mean nothing these days. Like a lot oh. of the religious references doesn't drive the story. Doesn't you know? If the Tempest was the last play that he wrote, Josette inserted lines from different plays throughout the course of the play. We we had lines from every play that he wrote inserted into the characters were speaking. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, just kind yeah. of as an homage to all the work that he'd done up to that point. So it was a, it was a different version. It wasn't the version that people who read it beforehand expecting this version that they read. Uh, it was not what we did on stage. We focused on the theme of revenge right. and the power of Prospero's revenge because he made it all happen. He brought the ship there. He yeah. drove them mad. That was his revenge, was to drive them all mad. He manipulated every single scene. That's right. Yeah. I was standing on stage on top of the ship for most of the play. Oh, and right. And then we'd come yeah. down. Yeah. So I'd be like <laughs> orchestrating stuff. And See, so you explaining that to me here makes... Uh, oh, I'd like to see that. Although that said, if I'd seen Tempest advertised locally or wherever, it'd be, like, oh, Shakespeare, that's going to be hard work. I'll stay home and watch the A team or something, <laughs> something a little less challenging. But when, yeah. you, when you explain it like that, I said, "What? That sounds." And I think maybe I do find that actually when, like, with theatre goers and or people that 
might go think, oh yeah but that's all that old speaky talky mm. stuff and i'm going to get confused and, and as again as i say looking at the uh, just the set design and the lighting on the, on the pictures i've seen a few pictures that's exciting enough to make me want to go mm-hmm. do, do, i mean do you do you find that that people are, are, are scared almost to try it yeah. out yeah yeah and which is unfortunate because they miss a lot of incredible pieces of theater pieces of work and it's become if you if the actors and the directors do their job it, it should be understandable to everybody mm. they might might take this like watching a foreign film and and picking you know especially a british film where you have pick it takes a little bit to pick up their accent and their and how they speak and then oh the next thing you know you're irish right <laughs> <laughs> you start going oh well, yeah i get that yeah. They're calling everybody bloke. All right, bloke or geezer. Geezer. <laughs> uh, yeah. how, how, how's the uh, cockney coming along? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I only pull it out when I'm, it's needed. <laughs> they made me write a, a post. Well, they made me. They asked me to write a post about uh, Saskatchewanisms. Mm-hmm. And just in case they came up in the show and people didn't understand, and I had to convert them. So I converted them to English and then cockney just for fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had to look a load up myself, and it was—it's—it's it's a science in itself. It's good yeah, fun, yeah. though. Must admit, especially yeah. the rude ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. It took me forever to figure out what a bunny hug was. What the hell's a bunny hug? Oh, that's, is, that's is just it, a little it, pullover it, with the pockets in front. You know, the the pullover, the hoodie, yeah, like the hoodie with the yeah. yeah. That's what it is, is a hoodie, but they call it a bunny hug for some reason, a bunny hug. Well, yeah, because I, 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 I came across that one. I forget what the others were, but um, some of them, my favorite one, <laughs> one was for underpants. I can't remember what the Saskatchewan version was, but then the, the Cockney version for women anyways, Alan Wickers, which is knickers, <laughs> or undies, girlies undies. And Alan Wicker was a, an old TV presenter and uh, <laughs> made me chuckle. <laughs> So um, what, were, what were you talking about? Oh, yeah. When you left university and you, and you started, did, did you start working immediately straight into theatre? or? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, uh, I got my first. Well, I did a couple of things that I shouldn't have done. I did my first professional play before the beginning of my final year. So before the end of my program, I got hired for at the Citadel again to, to work in a production called Royal Hunt of the Sun which was uh, a brilliant piece. So I got to work with Robin Phillips, who's like a world-renowned theater director and some some incredible talent from Scott Highlands and Raul Trujillo, uh, who were Atahualpa and uh, Pizarro. And yeah. uh, I was hired to be the Spaniard and the Incan. So, you know, playing the brown guy roles. That's <laughs> an early age. Oh, God. But uh, it was an incredible production and it was before school started. So I was three weeks rehearsal with uh, Robin Phillips and the rest of these brilliant actors that I've seen around town and stuff. So I learned more in three weeks working with a professional than I did my two years previous yeah. in training, which helped me in the long run because it, it showed me what I needed to focus on for my third and final year, right. where I was deficient, what I need to spend more time studying. So that was great that way and just learning about watching a director how he moved people on stage and made pictures and stuff. It was totally education unto itself. On the job education. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the university and, and theater were in a disagreement about hiring students. Oh, really? Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, university didn't want it to become a drop-in, which I totally understand. You know, didn't yeah. want actors dropping out, working, and then coming back. Yeah. So I understood that. But in the long run, it's like, then you're... What are you training me for? And the yeah. only conflict is that I would miss two Wednesdays in two weeks because that was the end of our run. But yeah. those matinees I had to do were on a Wednesday, so I'd miss two two days. So I had one of the professors in my corner understanding the reality of the world going. <laughs> so he fought for me. They were they were trying to make me uh, not do it, and uh, they had meetings and there were staff meetings about it. It was a big <laughs> thing, and it was just kind of yeah. like, oh, well, you should have told me about it because I signed the contract. what you can't i said well it's signed so they were getting quite snippy about it and then i just went in and i said well i'm going to do the show and if it's a problem for the university i can finish my degree at another institution (laughs) and they were like oh no uh okay well don't do that again (laughs) (laughs) it was a perfect opportunity to put into practice what they've taught you yeah 
um, work experience, like most schools do over here. I, d I assume they do yeah. in Canada as well. You know, same thing. Same meet different. Now, now they have a, a hard and fast policy about students aren't allowed to do that while they're in the training program. So I, I can understand <laughs> it. You can't, yeah, you can't you can't lose all your students to you know get them to work and stuff when they're there to train. So you have to be dedicated. So I understand their their point of view. But if it's an, if you're asked to do it and it's like an opportunity for the student to learn what they need to know and be in an environment where it's a professional, it's not, it's a, being a student in student productions are different than professional environments. Yeah. Professional environments, there's a lot more, this is what you'll have to do every show. As yeah. opposed to student ones, you're a bit isolated, you're a bit insulated from the real world and real criticism and stuff. You know, you get a medal for everything. <laughs> there are no losers yes yes <laughs> so was there any time around then that you oh, maybe i should have done rugby did it was it still on the cusp or oh i was still playing i i, I finally i was in my second year where i finally had to hang up the cleats because i'd come in and i had a bit of contusions from <laughs> being the flanker where all the action is you know I mean, like it's kind of hard to hide a black eye but luckily we're just you know, we weren't doing any shows or anything, but I was doing theater classes and I did have a couple of mouses here and there. And <laughs> so it was kind of like, uh, I think I can't do this anymore because I wanted to go play at a higher level and play harder and faster. But it, and then if you get banged up, you're, you know, you get bruised up in your quads and your legs, so you can't do the ballet quite as well. Oh, yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> your oh, ballet yeah, training, your modern dance training, you know. So it's like, yeah, so I reluctantly put it to the side yeah. and didn't pick it up again until I was second year of corner gas <laughs> oh really oh well by me so there's quite quite a way i mean because um has it always been a professional sport in canada because over here it was no 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 it was it was when i played it was, it was still amateur like our national team comprised of uh, carpenters teachers and you know the other they all had day jobs and so yeah. they would quit their day jobs to train for a couple of months before a rugby world cup oh. so we had we had true uh athletes a lot of students teachers that kind of stuff they would sacrifice and, and put everything on hold for two months to train and go play with the national team and compete with the professionals they were professional players in england and europe and uh, you know in new zealand where they didn't have to worry about rent or mortgage payments because they were getting boot money you know they'd be in their boots when they got back and after a game or something they say, oh, the money fairy came by but they weren't professionals no well my dad always said to me gave up watching when rugby became professional over here because they weren't allowed to play dirty anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you evened it out. If one guy was too fast or too fit, you know, you all of a sudden someone trying to gouge your eye. or <laughs> Yeah. It's a, he, he missed, I think he moved on to boxing after that. Okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what he was missing, the pugilism. Yeah, the good punch-ups. <laughs> I wrote about the Dog River Howlers uh, mm -hmm. a little way back. It's turned out to be my most popular post I've ever written. And yeah. constantly now, he, uh, to, to start with, it wasn't. But ever since, every day I look at my statistics and it's at the top by a long street. Every day, some like 20, 30 people are reading that that post. I assume it's because for a love of rugby, maybe, but maybe a charity. Perhaps you could explain because I forget people are listening. Could you explain a bit about Dog River Howlers? Sure. That was a team set up my good friend Carl Fix out of Saskatchewan, who... Um, has always been a huge, he was a knuckler. He was a second row rugby player for decades. When he got older and retired, he still supported the team, the national team, the provincial teams, the city teams in Saskatchewan and Regina. He was a big, uh, a big rugby supporter and, and he was an entrepreneur. He had a business and stuff. So he was able to support rugby players by giving them jobs and, you know, they'd go play and they'd have a job to, you know, pay for his stuff so they're not destitute rugby players. <laughs> so, so he eventually, uh, he's always been involved. He loves the game. He loves the sport. And uh, once he couldn't play anymore and he was sponsoring teams, he wanted to do a bit more. So he started, he, wanted, he approached me about starting a, a new club and he wanted to use something related to corner gas since it was so popular, uh, unbeknownst to him. He was throwing around the idea of, of having a they used to have corner gas and uh, he said, you know, he came up with the Dog River Howlers and, and he, he said he needed permission to use the name. 
because it's copywritten name. So I approached the network and our producers at, at CTV and Corner Gas, and I told them about what they want to do with the, using the Dog River Howlers. And, and they said, sure, yeah, they can use the name for charitable purposes. And, and so we got the rights to use the name, the Dog River Howlers, for the rugby purposes. And we, uh, I got given the honorary captain title. So, yeah. you know, I've done a few coin flips <laughs> here and there. <laughs> they choose to tour to places like uh, Mexico, Cuba. We've been to Cuba a few times, our, our club. And we bring uh, younger players who to give them a little national exposure, international exposure, and also to work in countries like Cuba where they don't have a lot. And so we would bring a bunch of equipment, balls, and use cleats and jerseys and, and, and all these things that we take for granted. And we'd bring them to Cuba and then we did give a clinic as well a rugby clinic and we had some ex-national players come along and tour with us as well so some great people come in there and then we'd work with the local teams and and even go to uh, orphanages and do some clinics there and teach for the love of the game right and then we'd leave all the equipment there for them to use yeah yeah. yes because the uh, motto of uh, Dog River Howlers is it's more than a game it's a way of life and the game has given so much to us that we want to give back to the community through the game of rugby. So we want to help grow the game in these different places. So, yeah, we've had a lot of um, ex-national players come and, and tour with us. For Shane Thompson was one of them. He was a big supporter and, and coach and player. And he was helping teaching these younger kids coming up too. And now, now a lot of the kids that have played with us are playing national teams. Oh, for the good. women's and the men's team as well. So we've exposed them to stuff. And then we've also, you know, exposed them to a different side of the world that they may never get and, and how lucky we are and how and to see what poverty is like and seeing yet these kids are positive and they're thriving and they're using rugby as a way to stay away from gangs and, and other bad choices. So, yeah. you know, we, we give give back that way through the, through the game. So, and I heard his plans on doing that and i said yeah it's something i want to support because it is uh it's you know it's a good thing i've basically chosen it to be my website's charity of choice mm. i'm trying to come up with a way to to raise some money it's time as usual it's just having the time yeah. to put it together i'm thinking of um maybe a, a corner gas marathon or something like that and then do a podcast with commentaries or something just and right. stay awake for the whole thing uh, I don't know. Something I have to come up with. <laughs> I come up with something. But I, what I like about it most is that they not only do they support no end of different charities. I mean, I've read the the lists. If if people go to the website, I think it's dogriverhowlers.com. Mm -hmm. List of people, the, the, the charities, people, different, all sorts of different causes. Just phenomenal. And what I like is that the money that they raise will go direct to the source. The mm -hmm. players don't make any money. They they fund themselves to get. Yeah. So whatever they're doing and when i've thought about i wanted to i won't name any of the, the charities i've thought of supporting but when you look at their websites they have quite often have job uh, opportunities on there and one in particular i saw a marketing manager earning a hundred hundred thousand pounds a year and you think well where's all that money going to the research Mm -hmm. is that they were looking at you know and that yeah. with howlers it, it's going straight there and there's no messing about and i really like that well you know one of the uh first people that we helped with the howlers was a young kid from from regina mm. who'd lost uh who'd lost part of his leg to uh cancer he was oh. like 14 13 14 He's a big kid too, so uh, we were approached by his uh, his grandmother. She was raising him and two other of her, her grandkids, and, and just being typical, incredible grandparent, helping her her grandkids out, wanting the best for them. And so they were living in a house that was not wheelchair accessible, and he was in a wheelchair, and and he was uh, he couldn't get the right prosthetic, a whole bunch of challenges, and he was just a, a young kid, right? Yeah. So he was. Him and his family were one of the first causes that we helped we we raised money and people kicked in a lot of money we got him uh, a prosthetic that fit oh, we man. we uh, that we later got them a, a van that was wheel, wheelchair accessible because then he can go to appointments and treat his cancer because it was in remission oh and, uh, yeah so we did all these things to and we, we had people build a ramp for his house and stuff so we, we we helped him out and then just earlier this year in in may I was in Winnipeg 
working on uh, doing this keynote for this group. And there's a young video crew there. And there's this young kid, he was like 19 or 20 or something, comes sidling up to me and just stands there and smiles at me. And I go like, how you doing? <laughs> he goes, you remember me? And I go like, um, you have to help me out. And he goes, I'm Nicholas. You helped me uh, when I was with the Dog River Howlers. I went, oh, you're Nicholas. And he was oh, wow. thriving. He was working. He was learning learning how to be a, a camera guy, a tech guy and a, and a video yeah. crew. So he was like, he was flourishing. And I was just kind of like, that's... That's why we do what we do to help him. And now he's this young man who's flourishing and he's cancer is zero. It's totally gone. So oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. He's walking around on a prosthetic and thriving. So that made me feel good about what we do. Absolutely. It makes it all worthwhile. And that's just one example mm -hmm. of the many. And yeah, I, I highly recommend anyone go to the website and have a look at all the stories yeah. there and the, the lists of people. Because it's it's the, it's a single you know an act of kindness and generosity that can change people's lives. I mean, it doesn't take much. It doesn't have to be a lot of movie uh, money. It doesn't have to be. It can just be the simple fact of acknowledging someone. Yeah. Just saying hello, saying good morning, treating them like a human being. That has a lot of power as well. You know that simple act of kindness that we forget. Right. You know, these, you know, you see these people on the streets, I don't know, you probably have them there, homeless people who are there and they get ignored. But you know what? Sometimes just saying hi to them or acknowledging them, to yeah. acknowledge when they talk to you, treat them with respect, humanity. And that helps them as well. You know, that way it stops the despair. So simple act of kindness of just saying hello to someone on a human to human level is, is a lot, is very powerful as well. So. Oh, Everybody can do it. So many pockets of the world are missing that now. Mm -hmm. um, mm. It's strange times we live in, and uh, the more people that take part in on such behaviour, the better we shall be. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the the message that people such as yourself and well, me on a much lower level. You know, we can, we can try and spread that sort of behaviour and hope that it catches on. You started working on stage, and then when did you make the sort of leap onto television and, and movies? Um, it wasn't until after I graduated. There was a very popular show called North of 60 here in Canada, and it was it was a big hit across our broadcasters. And before I went in, before I started my first year, I got a phone call from my agent who said this new show in town want, wanted me to audition for one of the lead roles. And I said, oh, that's interesting. When are they filming? And they said from September to January. And I said, well, I can't do it because I'm I'm in university. I'm in training and right there. But it's for a lead role. And I said. Yeah, no, I'm going to, because I, I knew learning the craft of acting was more important than doing a TV show. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I dedicated myself to three years of training to, to learn my craft. So that's what I'm going to do. So I said, no, turned him down. Turned out to be the show was North of 60 and it became this big hit for eight yeah. years. But after I graduated, I, I managed to get an audition and they got hired by them to come in. And I first started playing drunk card player number one. And <laughs> that was my credit. <laughs> <laughs> and then they they brought me back for another episode and they gave me a name and then they brought me back for a third episode and they gave me three kids <laughs> so i had a name three kids and, a, and a, a family tie to some of the leads afterwards so and then when the show just started making uh two-hour tv movies I, I was back for each one of those in a bigger and bigger role so i got i got the best of both worlds i got to be in the show and i got my training and i was happy that i did I, I went that route. Looking at the titles uh, sort of early on in your career, an awful lot of um, thrillers and dramas. And w was there a reason for that? Was it? The, were, were no, it was just. The... No, it was just. Uh, it was just the opportunities that were coming up, and I, I fit the what they were looking for in their in their breakdowns. Mm. And uh, yeah, just went in, and, and you just do what you do to try and get these characters and somebody likes it somewhere yeah and i had longer hair than i was wearing long long hair back uh, when i first started so i did a lot of period pieces so that was a choice too so i, I, oh, I knew that yeah. would come in handy yeah so you have to make that sort of choice when it comes to sort of I yeah know. yeah i mean it, 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 you audition for it sometimes the casting people or the producers who look at it they say oh he's got long hair and they don't want to ask you to cut it and they don't they can't see you with a wig they don't make that leap they yeah. It's easier for them to get somebody with short hair. I have experience in that. I can relate to that because, <laughs> well, years ago, I just left university, I think, in my little village of Lipbrook, there's um, a steam museum, uh, all the old sort of steam engines and fun mm. fair rides that they used to have years ago. Um, and they were filming an Alan Akebourne film there and they needed extras. 
and mm. they were taking people in the, the local job center you could go and get your picture taken and you may have been chosen and i got a picture i got a letter back from the bbc saying basically it said i was ugly <laughs> uh, they said you don't have the required look for the, the <laughs> something along those lines you don't you don't look like uh, somebody from uh, Edwardian times. Uh, it's basically you're saying you're ugly, mate. Bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a bit of that. I've had Casaritas uh, told me I didn't look uh, indigenous indigenous enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, according to <laughs> so that's something you're you're always fighting about is someone's preconceived notion of of what what they think you should be or how you should sound or, you know, I don't have an accent. I've lost jobs because of that. Yeah. Because they think all native people should have accents. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That still exists. That didn't happen too long ago. So. Good Lord. I was just still, you're, you're always fighting someone's preconceived idea of, of, of your people, you know. Is there a lot of ignorance that, that comes across with that? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's a, yeah. People want this specific look or tone for their project, and their that's what they want. So they yeah. don't care about reality. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised yeah. actually that that so you think that 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 element would be disappearing now in this day and age when when you hear so much about uh, inclusion and acceptance in mm. the media. Surprised to hear that. So no, it's still, yeah, it still goes on. It still goes on. One of the things I, I noticed I hadn't hadn't read before I missed that you were in Insomnia. Yeah. yeah. Al Pacino and my, one of my heroes, Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. And Christopher Nolan directing. What what was that like? Was, what was it was brilliant. Yeah, it was uh, an incredible experience. It was it was shooting here in Vancouver. I was living in Toronto at the time, and uh, my agent phoned me up and he said, "Well, you know, it's it's a small part." It's like nine lines. And I went, huh, nine lines, eh? Hmm. And he goes, well, just so you know, it's involving Al Pacino, Hilary Swank, Robin Williams, and everyone in L.A. is trying to get on it. <laughs> I said, well, I'll, I'll audition. <laughs> so I auditioned, and, they, and uh, I got a call back, and uh, they hired me. And so they, I came out, and uh, the nine lines grew and became – a bit bigger and stuff and and got to work with al and it was like ma watching a master work i was at around the monitor all the time he was working so i could see what he does and it's yeah. mind-boggling how how well he knows his craft That's and he was most humble guy shy you know we were all doing our first scene waiting for him to show up and he shows up and he walks up and he introduces himself to every single person in the scene he goes hi i'm al pacino and i'm like, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> lauren nice Nice to be, nice. Yeah, very shy, very, very uh, soft-spoken, and yeah. Then he comes in and just blows the lens off. You know, I was like five feet away from him. I was giving him an off-camera line for his eye line, so I was scrunched yeah. up against the wall. And so he, and he says, actually, I was looking a bit more left, so I squished myself more <laughs> and more. I don't know if he was just having fun with me or what, but I was sandwiched up against the wall and, and then he was just delivering his line and then he stopped and, and it was just the button at the end of the scene and he just he just like shifted his weight and looked somewhere and and then christopher went oh beautiful al beautiful i'm going what, what do you do <laughs> what do you do i didn't see anything he's just there and he just shifted so oh. it's true what they say it's all in the eyes yeah so whatever he did whatever he thought worked read on the camera beautifully so so I just went out. It's so small, so minute, but it 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 matters. I mean, he's he's very aware of that that he can use it at his call, you know, as beck and call. Meanwhile, you know, us regular humans gotta <laughs> act harder. <laughs> it's interesting you hearing. Do you do still do that now? You watch other actors and sort of, oh, I see what you're doing. Oh, that's interesting. How oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. in film, yeah, because you yeah. never stop learning in film. I mean, there's so many masters at their craft to make it look easy and effortless but you know there's very there's a method to their madness brilliant you know that you know and then you see stage guys like you know uh, ray fines who, who's brilliant on stage and on screen and and you know these guys they work hard at it they know what to do they come in loaded and ready and you know you just try and get out of their way <laughs> yeah as I, I said some similar to, to monique when we were speaking is that my background in stand-up as small as it is even now, like watching maybe Brent or anybody, mm. I, I I tend to stare. 
oh, I see what you're doing there. And then the way they, you're standing and I end up missing Joe because I'm too busy working out how the, 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 the performance is going and how they're getting the joke. And I have to stop myself from doing it. When I've paid to see somebody saying, I, I, I zone out. No, pay attention. Yeah. Enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, there's some stuff you can't teach. Like Brent has this natural ability to have people love him right off the bat, and some people don't have that. But Brent has been blessed with that. He comes out and people like him right off, right off the get go. So he's half the battles won right there. You know, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it, make, it makes all the difference. It's uh, it's it's amazing watch, watching him work. And mm -hmm. did you uh, work with Robin Williams on on that film at all? Did you meet? Um, yeah, I was uh, I was on set when he was on set and stuff. And just yeah, he's another. He was a another brilliant cat when he wasn't when the cameras weren't rolling. He was uh, cracking jokes left, right, and center. They come. He just spews them out and they're hilarious and everyone's laughing all the time and and uh but once they yelled rolling he was stock still and he was like a hawk he was doing the same thing i was he was watching hillary and al work and because mm -hmm. and uh, you know there's a sign of an, a brilliant intelligence when he knows that he's not a natural actor but he's learning the craft and he you know over the course of his career his his characters became incredible he became an incredible film actor Absolutely. you know yeah, and and that's and that's because he knew what he didn't know, and he went and learned and saw it. And then when he was working with masters, he was smart enough to watch, he, to shut up and watch. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what he was doing. But as soon as they yell, cut, boom, three or four jokes come flying out of there, and <laughs> everyone's laughing already. I missed my opportunity to see him work I, I, when I was going backwards and forwards to the comedy store in London, and I had a phone call to say he's he's coming in. It's secret, but if you want to come. And I had to do university things. I couldn't go. I missed it. Mm. And that's one of my all-time regrets. I didn't yeah. get to go and see that. Be it yeah. five minutes or however long. I don't know how long he did. But, yeah. Yeah, I missed one of those too. I had, to, I had a chance to see Red Skelton. Oh, no. Yeah, to, he came to a place called the Devil's Corral uh, a dinner place. It was out of town a bit, but I had to work that night. And I gave my tickets to my brother who... Yeah, raved about it for the next three weeks. Oh, no. <laughs> How brilliant he was, and he was like, <laughs> "Oh man!" And I missed one of the all-time greats. Yeah, for a job. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to eat. You got to eat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you're working on TV or film or however, do do you prefer now? Do you find do you prefer drama or comedy? Is uh, because obviously most people now are going to know you for comedy. Mm-hmm. I prefer, I'm kind of like Michael Caine that way. I prefer anything with a large role. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's alive at the beginning and alive at the end. Oh, yeah, I, I can understand that. <laughs> those, those appeal to me. I mean, be it whatever, comedy or drama, I don't really have a preference one or the other. I, I just like the stories and character challenge of, of portraying a character. Yeah, that's that's what I like. But I, I'm finding that it, it's hard for me to be a character actor. So that's not my wheelhouse. Oh, OK. Yeah. Do, do you look for anything particular in a character? No, no. It just I hope I always, always fingers crossed that it's an interesting character and it's a, a chance to try something new. I, I just did a, a short film called Henry's Heart, which is will be hitting the festivals this year or later this year. But we saw a screening of it. It's brilliant film. It's gorgeously lit and shot. And, and the story is it's a love story. The guy's he's at the later part of his life and he's looking back on the three major loves of his life mm. uh, when he was a, a boy and then when he gets married and then when he was in at, at in war during the war the korean war and it's just an incredible 16 minute film and i was lucky enough to play henry it's kind of a memory play and very abstract in some places that were in this kind of netherland it's kind of a, a empty space and just a big tree root is there that we're sitting on and yeah. it's just uh, in between we don't know if he's dying or passing on if this is the flashing of his life before his eyes or whatever but you know a lot of metaphorical walking through doors and i think he's won an award already has it for best cinematography was that henry's heart i i don't i i don't know where it's played yet or if it has but i know god's acres has won stuff which was yeah. another short film yeah i love that one that was really good and i i hate being british sometimes i swear especially when since i got into this whole website malarkey because there's so many excellent things that i miss out on like kayak to climb up uh, Clem too. Clem yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a brilliant film too. That was fun. The one in particular I really want to see 
and there is a reason for it. <laughs> um, Winter looks for no mm. main reason I liked it is that you look so badass in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, it was that. That was really fun. I was uh, had a lot of hope for that one. That would go to series because it was it was brilliant, brilliant cast and brilliant uh, storylines. And a lot of possibilities, but we couldn't find anyone to pick it up beyond the pilot. Oh, really? Yeah, That's which is unfortunate. That's, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a huge waste of energy and talent just to get it to the pilot stage. And then, you know, you get a broadcaster who's not really putting their full effort into finding someone else to produce it with. You know, they go, oh, well, we crossed off our checklist, so we don't have to do any more because, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it was a shame that way. I, I'd imagine, I'd, I'd correct me if I'm wrong, but like Winter's an example of um, the story, I believe, is about uh, a race of evil. Are they, are they, I assume they're sort of human based, the, the tricksters they're called. Um, uh, yeah, they, I couldn't really the make tricksters aren't necessarily evil. They're, they're, some of them are, some of them are. Oh, some okay. of them are helpful. Some of you know, it, it all depends. But you, they're teaching, they're teaching stories on how to behave, how to behave yourself. But in this instance, in our story, Winter, they're uh, they are a race living in a different dimension. Oh, okay. And so it. this girl who's half, unbeknownst to her, she's half human and half trickster. And turns out she's the only one that can open this portal. And so there's this malevolent trickster whose plan is to get her to the open portal. So all the bad tricksters can come out and take over ah, this okay. dimension it's quite high concept so yeah. i could imagine some tv exec sitting in a studio going in, in their office going no oh, i don't understand that and mm. it is would that be am i right there or does that happen a lot uh, i don't know the story itself was just was really good i mean the quality was was brilliant uh, you know for the little budget that we had and they pulled out a lot of pulled out a lot of uh, magic just from the incredibly talented people we had working on it. So, yeah, who knows? I, I think it's just, yeah, I think if we had a broadcaster who was really intent on it, it, it could have gone differently. But, I mean, but the special effects was, looked amazing. Yeah, yeah. And as and, I said, I think their attitude, the broadcaster's attitude was, uh, well, we did our part. We can't, we can't afford to do it by ourselves. And then that was it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, okay, then use your connections to find someone else, you know, Come to bat for us. Go to battle with us. Well, let's hit the major networks, you know. Let's do something as opposed to just saying, well, we can't afford to do it. I suppose we better talk about Corner Gas for a little while, otherwise people might get antsy. Ah. <laughs> How did you come to have the part of Davis? Did you have to audition or was were you suggested for it? No, I uh, auditioned. I walked into an audition room. There was about 40 other people there auditioning for both Karen and Davis. So there was a, it was quite a mixture. They were all shapes and sizes and colors and genders, and uh, and I walked in there. The only plus I had on my side was David Story was one of the producers who I'd worked with David on another series previously. So he always kind of made sure that my stuff was in the mix. And then when I went into audition, it was Virginia and a CTV exec and Br and Brent and David sitting at the table. And we did this scene, and they paired me up with this other gal who decided to play Karen like butch, like yeah. a gum chewing. Yeah. And she, she sat with her legs open. I was just kind of like, oh, <laughs> you're going with that, are you? <laughs> so I was kind of like, oh, yikes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Brent was playing Lacey and it was a scene of where she comes up to the cop car and we talk about coffee or something, something ridiculous or something anyways. And uh, so I was like looking at her and then Brent stands there and they go, okay, and start the scene. And I looked over and there was Brent playing Lacey and I, I just gave her one of these and then Virginia and they, they laughed and kind of like, oh, <laughs> oh. So we did our scene and, you know, they laughed a few times and then they said they were going to camera in two weeks and, and uh, we'll let you know. So just kind of like I gave my shot, did my bit, off I go. I probably don't stand a chance because of what Buddy was doing. <laughs> it was just like, ooh. Really yeah. bad choice, yeah. Unbelievable, stereotypical, just bad. So yeah, so I went on my merry way and, and went fingers crossed. And you know, then the next Davis came in, and then next, <laughs> and, uh, and then two weeks came and and went, and not a word. I phoned my agent, says no, nothing yet. And I said, okay, well, 
I got to take this other gig. I was doing a children's theater show. So I signed on to do that. And it was, uh, it was very, very fun to do. And, and then I got a call that I needed to be in Regina as soon as possible. Oh, wow. Yeah, for the corner gas thing. And I went, I've got two more shows to do. And I went, <laughs> I'm not done until Friday. And it was like Monday. You need to be there right away, right away. And I go, like, I can't. Get your stand in. It's, it's Canadian theater. We don't have stand-ins. <laughs> it's children's theater. There's no going to... So I'm committed to these two shows. And I said, well, I'm finished. My, my last show is on Friday. I'm done by 11 o'clock in the morning. They phoned back. I said, okay, you're on a plane at 1.30 and you're flying to Regina. And you're, you're going to be there for maybe, we don't know, one or two days, three days maybe. Yeah. It turned out to be, we started. So I was there for three weeks, three months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to our first. So it was interesting. So there we are, the first part of my interview with Lorne. The second part will be coming up next week as i say with tara and eric all mingled into the mix one lovely big gooey corner gassy mix wow yum but when I, when i leave these interviews with a bit of a cliffhanger i always think about batman 66 you know when they used to leave him and the joker would have him pinned up in a warehouse somewhere at a, a dodgy angle and there'd be sharks swimming about the place and beavers with deadly lasers attached to their pectorals and Robin's underpants have been shimmied into a wedgie of doom. And I think that was an episode anyway. Sounds familiar. But when I leave an interview like that, same back time, same back channel. But uh, yeah, so next week, keep an eye out. Also, or an ear out, more, more importantly. Don't try and listen to it with your eyes. You just hurt yourself, end up in hospital. Some of you, if you're really listening close enough, something I forgot to mention at the beginning, go back and have a listen again. You may hear somebody in the background flushed the infinity pool here in blog paper towers and uh it was quite amusing when it happened like obviously i can see lawn while i'm talking to him and uh his face was while he was talking like what, what was that i didn't like to say somebody's just been to the bog and flushed it but uh, very unprofessional but anyway next week's folks coming back and listen to the second part hear what tara and eric got to say and we'll have a giggle you guys take care and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>